0: i do dimly perceive that whilst everything around me is ever changing ever dying there is underlying all that change a living power that is changeless that holds all together that creates dissolves and
1: recreates the voice of gandhi it was not the voice of an orator still less of a dictator as Jawaharlal Nehru remembered it It was a quiet
2: voice. His voice never rose above a certain uh, timbre. He never raised his voice, but it was a penetrating voice.
1: It was as a self-made man that he impressed the great Muslim educationalist, Dr Zakir Hussain, who was to become the third president of the Indian Republic.
3: You see, in my view, one of the chief things to note in Gandhi's life is that he was not born great. He was not born with things which usually help people to become great. He was born an ordinary man with ordinary capacities, and he literally hammered himself into shape. He chiseled himself into shape, he hammered himself into shape, as the case arose. He was a self-educated, self-made man, consciously determined to make himself an instrument of the values which he prized.
1: Those values, an obstinate belief in non-violence, in the guidance of God and the persuadability of man, were often to trouble and mystify Nehru, who was 20 years younger than Gandhi. But he recognised the power of leadership that they could generate.
2: Even when he was in South Africa, one of the leading persons in India went there and saw him working there and came back and described him as a man with the amazing capacity to make heroes out of men of clay.
1: They had to be a special kind of hero. Social discrimination against the large Indian minority in South Africa had shocked Gandhi on his first arrival as a young lawyer in 1893. Soon there was legal discrimination as well, and Gandhi became the spokesman of protest and the leader in a long struggle. One of the Europeans who stood by him and went to prison with him was the British lawyer Henry Polak.
4: Yes, he felt that it was uh, necessary to advise his people that, if necessary, they should uh, go to jail in order to show that they were prepared to endure anything rather than accept this anti-Indian legislation. And uh, this uh, movement then took him to jail on more than one occasion.
1: It had been in South Africa, too, that Gandhi had made fundamental decisions about his own relation to society. As it happened, Henry Pollack played a
4: part in this. I went to see him off on a railway journey to Durban, and I gave him to read uh, a book that had very greatly interested me, uh, Ruskin's uh, book, Unto This Last. He was so fascinated by it that he couldn't put the book down all night till he'd finished it, and he immediately decided that he must change his way of life from that of the ordinary middle-class professional person to that of a farmer and uh, craftsman and uh, the simple life.
1: That was in 1904. And so it was that in India, 18 years later, Judge Broomfield found that the man who stood before him in the sessions court at Ahmedabad was indicted as Mohandas, Karamchand, Gandhi, farmer and weaver.
5: Yes, now you draw my attention to it. it is uh, true that um, in the course of his statement, he described himself as a farmer and weaver. Actually, Mr. Gandhi was a bunya by caste. The bunyas are not farmers or weavers, but um, bankers or professional men. But it is quite true that ever since he began his political life, he identified himself with the people of the country. The weaver was also mentioned no doubt because he strongly believed he was in that sense uh, reactionary he strongly believed in promoting village industries weaving in the villages with the idea of counteracting the industrialization of India
1: and that meant something more basic than the village loom It was the spinning wheel, which Gandhi revived and spread through the country for his attack on rural poverty, that became the symbol of freedom and the point of endless controversy. It is as inseparable from his public image as from the intimate picture of his ashram, or settlement, which his English friends came to know, among them the young Quaker Reginald Reynolds.
6: I always remember him pointing to his spinning wheel and saying, it's quite wrong to say I don't believe in machinery. This is a beautiful piece of machinery. But um, he judged all machines, and in fact he judged every form of material progress by what it contributed or took away from life.
7: Therefore I want simple machines, not big monsters which nobody can possess.
6: This is Maurice
1: Friedman. Polish by birth, engineer by training, helper in Gandhi's rural work by choice.
7: He said, my ideal is a machine which anybody can have. I personally feel that man comes first. What is good for man is good for Gandhiji. What is not good for man is not good for Gandhiji. But the difficulty arises in judgment, in the judgment what is good
1: and also, quite practically, in the judgment of what is immediately necessary. Dr. Hussain.
3: I don't think Gandhiji would have insisted on the spinning wheel for all time. Gandhiji was uh, one of the most rational thinkers I have come across. I'm quite sure Gandhi was not primitive by principle at all. He was primitive out of necessity, out of the necessity of the situation, because the primitive at that time, the apparently primitive at the time, was the only practical thing to do.
1: Out of the necessity of the situation again, Gandhi was prepared to recruit soldiers for the British Empire when it was fighting for survival in the First World War. And out of principle, too, India must earn her title to national freedom, and Britain must be trusted to recognise it. But the recognition that came after the war in a new plan for constitutional advance lost much of its effect when the government of India, alarmed by post-war restlessness, brought in special security laws. Though these powers were never used, they were deeply resented. Gandhi organised his own campaign of protest on the principles that he had tried out in South Africa and without the support of political nationalism as represented by the Indian National Congress. But in the Punjab, which he was not allowed to enter, the face of violence showed itself. Troops fired upon an unarmed crowd at Amritsar and martial law was clamped down on the province and on Gandhi's home ground in Bombay and Ahmedabad, rioting and bloodshed had disfigured his movement. He suspended his campaign, fasted in repentance, and helped the authorities to restore calm and order. In Maurice Friedman's view, it was the kind of readjustment that he would often have to make.
7: As usually, overestimated, estimated the non-violence of his followers. He did like everybody else does, he judged others by himself and his continually repeated mistake was overestimation of, of people, putting too much faith. But that was also his greatness. And presently
1: it came to be seen that Gandhi's faith and his unique appeal to the masses were indispensable in the movement for independence. Political nationalism had up to now been the concern of the wealthy and professional classes on the one hand and on the other of terrorist revolutionaries. Gandhi rejected both approaches. In tremendous tours through the countryside, he took his message to the grassroots. The effect was something that Nehru never forgot.
2: It was a wonderful change. After all, he he said something very simply in those early days to the peasants and others don't be afraid it's a very simple thing to say but the amazing thing was that they were not afraid after that they somehow got courage and and a poor peasant half starving his back broken by suffering and all kinds of things simply straightened his back and was not afraid it was an astonishing change over the countryside
1: but there had to be a change at the top for the Indian National Congress a new approach a new organization, a startling new program of nonviolent action, for its leaders, at least outwardly, a new way of life.
2: When he came into the political field in a big way, and made, well, rather astounding proposals, asking, for instance, lawyers to give up their practice and uh, live simply and uh, on next to nothing. Wear everybody to wear hand-spun clothes made in the villages. The whole, the whole atmosphere changed, and many of our older leaders, who wanted to cooperate with him, nevertheless were not quite clear what all this meant, because they had been thinking differently. There was a conflict for some months, maybe a year,
1: and maybe much longer. The South Indian leader Rajagopalachari took a look at non-violence.
2: That was not
0: the reason why they preferred Gandhiji's plan. They preferred Gandhiji's plan because it was the only possible plan and it looked efficient. A new technique, that was the attraction. His sainthood and his good quality was an incident to that technique. You want a good man to use that new technique and here he was. But that was not the point of attention. I had completely lost hope in in the... Program of the Congress, so far as the moderates went, and I was an extremist. But I was also convinced that sporadic violence would produce no good results, and uh, as to organized violence, it was an impossibility.
1: But could nonviolence be organized as a dynamic assault on power? Wouldn't that be a contradiction? Pyal Al Naya had to work it out for himself.
8: No, there was no contradiction between uh, nonviolence and his political goal because he wanted political independence for the least in the land. He said the the least, the weakest in the country, even the halt and the lame, must be able to enjoy the full measure of independence and the fruits of independence with the tallest. So it had got to be a battle which the weakest and the least could wage with equal success, and that was the moral battle. And therefore, non-violence, non-violence thus became the means as well as the end.
1: So began the first mass movement of non-cooperation under Gandhi's leadership. With his eye on the means, he saw a heaven-sent chance of uniting Hindus and Muslims in a common effort that might dissolve their differences. As to the end, freedom might mean different things to different people, and something else again to Gandhi. But he told the people that if they followed his programme, if they ruled, simply withdrew their obedience to the rulers, accepting suffering but avoiding violence, freedom was theirs to take, and quickly, even within a year. Tens of thousands went willingly to jail. Thousands more were ready to follow them. The forces of authority seemed fully extended. And the last big push had been signalled by Gandhi when the news of an isolated act of ferocious mob violence caused him to call off the whole political operation. His colleagues, and especially Jawaharlal Nehru and his father Motilal, both of them in prison, felt stunned and angry. The boy who was to become Nehru's brother-in-law, Raja Singh, was one of those who had just offered himself as a volunteer when the chance of action and sacrifice vanished.
0: It was the great disappointment. Here was a man who was willing to give up all that politics meant to me for a mere idea. And I was really disappointed. I thought that this way there was going to be no salvation, at least in my lifetime.
1: And so far, no hand had been laid on Gandhi himself. He had published articles that were openly and deliberately seditious, challenging the government to arrest him. And now at last, the challenge was accepted. On March 18, 1922, for the first and last time, Gandhi stood to be sentenced by a British judge. And with him to answer the same charge stood the publisher of his weekly papers, Mr Shankalal Banker.
3: The conduct of the trial was, to my mind, very perfect. The judge was uh, uh, very courteous, very nice, capable of understanding what was in Gandhiji's mind. I think he must have sympathised also with the objects which Gandhiji put forth but he had to do his duty in terms of the law.
1: It was not really a trial, since both of the accused had already pleaded guilty at the magistrate hearing, and now did so again. All that Judge Broomfield had to decide was the sentence.
5: He had brought a long written statement with him, which he obviously wished to read. I felt pretty sure that um, the statement was likely to be political propaganda, not having very much bearing on the only issue, which was the amount of the sentence. However, I saw no objection to his reading it. I allowed him to do so. That, I think, was um, one reason why he was pleased with his trial. I let him have his say. The other reason was that I treated him politely. As a matter of fact, it never occurred to me to do anything else. It was a long statement. To sum it up very briefly, he recorded his services to the government, which were considerable, and he explained at some length the course of events which had led him to change his mind and come to the conclusion that the laws administered by the British government were not in the interest of the Indian people and should not be obeyed. He also, at one stage, expressed the view that I, as the judge, ought to resign my post. But I'm quite sure that he did not expect me to resign and that he was not really speaking to me at all, but to a much larger audience outside the Sessions Court on the bed.
1: The sentence, too, reached that larger audience. Six years' simple imprisonment on three counts, and the quiet words of the judgment. In the course of my judgment, I said this.
5: I do not forget that you have consistently preached against violence and that you have on many occasions, as I am willing to believe, done much to prevent violence. Then, as to that point, I went on to say, but having regard to the nature of your political teaching and the nature of many of those to whom it was addressed, How you could have continued to believe that violence would not be the inevitable consequence, it passes my capacity to understand.
1: The great trial, as it came to be called, had taken less than two hours. When the doors of Yuravada Central Prison near Pune closed upon Gandhi, it looked as if he was finished. The viceroy, Lord Reading, thought so. So did Gandhi's political rivals and perhaps not a few of his supporters. The acute attack of appendicitis that made headline news after he had been there a couple of years might indeed have finished him. But it led to the remission of the remaining sentence, and it added to the legend. Patrick Quinn, as a young assistant at Yoravada, began what was to be a repeated experience of Gandhi as a prisoner. Chiefly the fact that he was simple
9: and honest, you know. You knew that when you talked to him there was no double shuffling going on. But again, you also realised he he was one jump ahead of you. You know what I mean? He was always, what I would say, a model prisoner because uh, he always believed in in sticking to the rules. He was quite... uh, He he, he was very um, uh, good at producing some reason why the rules could be bent, you see. But otherwise, I mean, you never had much trouble apart from the fact that he... uh, If there was something that he couldn't agree with and he couldn't get his way, uh, hunger strike was threatened, you see, and nobody wanted that.
1: You couldn't sell him a pup, if you know what I mean. (laughs) Nobody could do that. The freedom that he wanted for India must be won without bloody revolution and, if possible, with British cooperation. And it had to be based in social regeneration, self-help, the rescue of the villages from degradation, an end to Hindu-Muslim rivalry removal of the blot of untouchability and the full emancipation of India's women. To build these things, he parted company with the dogmatists and the power-seekers. But whenever the political struggle gathered momentum, he was there to lead it in his own way. In 1930, under a new viceroy, Lord Owen, Gandhi took command of a fresh wave of unrest. But he knew that his way was not the way of others. Reginald Reynolds was staying in his ashram at the time.
6: Gandhi said looking up from his spinning wheel they're throwing bombs at Irwin now it will be my turn next he was so gay that I thought he was joking the others who were listening looked shocked and incredulous
1: and incredulity was the first reaction to Gandhi's plan for the opening move of a new campaign which came to him he said in a dream with a band of picked and trained followers he proposed to march 241 miles from his ashram to the coast there to defy the government's salt taxation laws by the ludicrously simple process of gathering salt deposited by the sea having notified the viceroy of his intention in a long letter he led his party out in the early hours of march the 12 1930 gloney bolton of the times of india who had watched them start followed by car to their first halt
10: in the evening eventually I came to a house with a large courtyard and I was amazed that a man so old as Gandhi was able to walk so far and one day and there he was sitting quite peaceably quite happy um, people around him uh, on the whole very quiet but now and again you heard Gandhi uh, break out of that wonderful boyish laughter of his
1: um, he didn't know how the uh, march was going to end he didn't know Uh, how the sort of struggle which he had started was going to end. But nonetheless, there I
10: was, seeing history happen in a strange sort of anticlimax way, something completely un-European and yet very, very moving.
1: In the first place, Gandhi didn't know or expect that he would reach Dandi, the appointed spot on the coast, without interruption. But the government made no move against him. Gandhi completed his long march. One of his companions was Krishnalal Sridharani.
11: It was early in the morning, and Dandi is, is a very beautiful seashore, always on the sand. There are some deposits of salt left when the water is receded, so he just picked it up, a pinch of salt, you know, and gave it to the next person who was standing by. I don't recollect his or her name. And that was a symbol of breaking the SALT Act. And, uh, of course, all the correspondents that were trailing us, especially trailing Gandhi, kept us also informed about what was happening in the country.
1: There was not a policeman in sight on that seashore. But what was happening in the country when the mounting expectation was broken by that signal for nationwide action sent 60,000 people into jail. It was only when two isolated but serious cases of armed disturbance forced the Viceroy's hand that a police party in the dead of night aroused Gandhi and his companions in their village quarters under a mango tree.
11: In the midst of that excitement, there was one man who was completely unmoved and very quiet and very self-composed, and that was Gandhiji. He asked the police superintendent to to give him time to brush his teeth and he brushed his teeth with a twig like any other Indian in presence of the policemen and all of us. Then he asked the police superintendent to read out the warrant, and he was behaving as if nothing extraordinary was happening.
1: And so, this time without trial, under an old regulation, back to Yorabada jail and to the care of Patrick Quinn. I met him at the gates, and uh, he was very
9: pleased to see me and (laughs) laughed quite heartily. He just said that he was (laughs) delighted to renew our acquaintance and to uh, start teaching me Gujarati again. I wasn't particularly good at uh, conversation. I I had already studied Marathi, which he knew. But we used to spend, I should say, a very pleasant one hour or so every evening talking not only about Gujarati but
1: about everything else under the sun, you see. (laughs) The things they talked about couldn't always be pleasant. Outside the walls, India was seething with the great movement that Gandhi had called into being, and sometimes with things for which he had not called. Four men were to be hanged for murder. Those four executions took place
9: under terrific stress and strain, and we had um, about 50,000 to 100,000 people marching up from Pune City to the prison, marching and parading and demonstrating outside and he could hear all this uproar going on, uh, you see, protesting at their execution. Their ex- execution was perfectly reasonable. I mean, they had actually burnt uh, a policeman alive, an Indian policeman in Sholapur. I was uh, in charge of the execution, and they were hanged early morning, one morning, and Gandhiji knew all about this, and he was very worried. And furthermore, what I felt about it was, uh, I being in a feeling horrible about this execution and feeling dreadful, he had such terrific sympathy for me, and he said so. And he said, well, I was worried about you. I I felt how dreadful you must be feeling over this execution. He was a uh, a wonderful chap. No question about that. He realised that we had a job to do and that it was our duty. He didn't argue
1: about the ethics at all. Lord Irwin, too, had a job to do. His aim was to move the whole question out of the battlefield of civil disobedience and into the constitution-making round-table conference in London. After some time, Gandhi and the Congress leaders were released from detention. And then came what Winston Churchill described in the House of Commons as the humiliating spectacle of a half-naked fakir striding up the steps of the Viceroy's palace, there to negotiate and parley on equal terms with the representative of the King-Emperor the price that Gandhi knew he must ask in order to carry his Congress colleagues with him was an official inquiry into the conduct of the police during the struggle that had been checked but not abandoned. On this point, the Viceroy began to think he was immovable.
12: I was in despair and I thought that the whole of our talks were therefore going to be wrecked and come to nothing. And eventually, um, feeling completely frustrated... Uh, and rather out of temper because he, I thought he'd be very unreasonable. I said to him rather oh, uh, sharply, well, I Mr. Dundee, I'll tell you exactly why I'm not going to have your inquiry. Um, so he pricked up his ears and I said, I have no guarantee at all that even if we reach an agreement that uh, you won't start civil disobedience again in six months or 12 months' time and when you do, I want my police to have their tails up and not down. And at that, his face lit up and he said, Ah, now your Excellency treats me exactly like I was treated by General Smuts in South Africa. You do not deny that I have a moral trace. But you advance unanswerable reasons why you cannot meet it. I dropped the demand. And that was the end of that, after three days. And uh, it, made a, it made a very great impression on my mind. The... The strange way in which this uh, uh, persistent advocate for something that was quite impossible administratively was prepared to recognise when you uh, put the thing perfectly brutally to him. Well, that was interesting.
1: Gandhi, too, on the evidence of his friend G.D. Birla, the industrialist, had been impressed.
12: I was in contact with Lord
8: Irwin at that time, and I sent a message to him that the ice is broken because... The first thing that Gandhi remarked to me was, after seeing Lord Arvind, he seemed to be a good man, with good intention.
1: But that was hardly enough for the Congress leaders whom Gandhi faced in long and controversial discussions every evening after leaving the Viceroy's house.
12: We finished, I remember, at 2 o'clock on a Thursday morning, and at 9 or 10 o'clock he came back to me and said... That uh, he had had a dreadful evening when he had returned to his ashram. That he had met um, other of his Indian friends, and Jawaharlal Nehru had said that he had betrayed India, and that uh, he had uh, he Jawaharlal had wept on his shoulder. Gandhi said as he had never wept when his mother died over this uh, tragedy of uh, betrayal of India. And the little man was quite upset with all that and so I said, well, don't be too discouraged because you happen to live on the spot but in a few hours' time I shall be getting furious cables from Mr Churchill and others in England saying that I've betrayed England and therefore he thinks I've betrayed England and your friend since you betrayed India, we were probably about right in the middle. So that cheered him up a little bit. Well, I personally felt I could trust Mr Dudley and I did trust him. And over and over again in our talks, I I had said to him now, I'm going to tell you something, that if you let it out, my name's Mud. Finished. You've got to keep it yourself. i tell it to you in confidence. Never a word came out of anything of the sort. Therefore, uh, I have every reason to have great respect and regard for the name of that very remarkable little man.
1: Trust had been established, but it was a tenuous thing. The viceroy who had broken the deadlock sailed for England soon afterwards. But when Gandhi at length followed him as the sole congress delegate to the round table conference, the omens were not good. So thought the political journalist H.N. Brailsford, who had seen Gandhi at work in India
13: and now saw a good deal of him in London. The congress party in India was really uh, rather reluctant to let him go to London at all. I remember he said just as he was embarking, Uh, that uh, he went without hope and feared he would come back with empty hands. Politically, I I should say, uh, it it was a a complete failure, as far as any immediate effect was concerned. But he must have left behind him uh, the impression of a unique personality,
1: beginning with the ordinary folk of London's East End, where he had accepted, eccentrically, as most people thought, the invitation of Miss Muriel Lester to make his home in her Kingsley Hall settlement.
12: He wrote back and said, of course I would rather be at Kingsley Hall than anywhere else in London because there I shall be among the same sort of people as those to whom I have devoted my life.
1: Mrs Ida Barton did the washing for Gandhi and his party of five.
0: It was very nice washing. In fact, it really didn't want to do it. It was so white. It
1: was beautiful. Elusive but human, politically ineffective but personally unforgettable, Gandhi flitted across the English scene.
4: There was something that you could never quite touch. Something that finally influenced him.
1: Professor Gilbert Murray, Gandhi's old admirer, was one of a group of scholars who talked with Gandhi on weekend visits to Oxford. He was still fascinated but not so sure. He was a delightful
4: companion, very humorous, and perfectly good-tempered always. If you talked to him, he was essentially reasonable, and you could feel a sort of goodness about him. On the other hand, like other saints who have taken to politics, he was an extremely astute politician. Uh, I can
13: remember... One of the most interesting evenings I ever spent when Gandhiji sat on a a table in a crowded room full of authors and journalists and intellectuals and we plied him with
0: questions. We were about a dozen young boys drawn both from Oxford and London and Cambridge. Uh, All of us were socialists and inclined towards communism at that time, and we tried to um, push Gandhi into a corner so that he would admit what he was actually driving at was to support the capitalists and the rich. I felt that we had pushed him into a corner because, I mean, it was not even economics, you see. He talked utter rubbish. That is what I thought at that stage.
13: For him, the most interesting and the most sympathetic experience he had during his whole stay in England was when he went up to Lancashire.
8: Some of our friends were very afraid that uh, the reception there may not be very welcome because they were very hard hit at that time. It was feared that they would very much resent the fact that he was the author, as they thought of the boycott of British Lancashire Goods.
13: He had that on his conscience, and he wished to go direct to the mill workers themselves and try to get them to understand uh, what the abysses of Indian poverty really meant.
1: They welcomed him when he came, and they cheered him when he left.
8: Do you want your prosperity to be built at the misery of others, he asked, and they said no. One of the operatives afterwards came to him and said, Mr. Gandhi, if I was in India, I would say exactly the same thing as you are telling us today.
1: But it was harder to impress 111 other delegates to the London conference.
8: Yes, he he
13: put it, uh, they went into the conference. Muslims and Sikhs and and untouchables and they came out of it, Muslims and Sikhs and untouchables and never at any moment was the Indian nation there. If the few of us who had seen Gandhi at work in India could have managed to get that across to the public then history might have run rather differently than it did but we never quite succeeded. Uh, He left uh, with the assurance that whatever happened to his unhappy country, I remember those words, uh, whatever should happen to his unhappy country, uh, he would never forget the kindness and hospitality he had received in England.
1: His unhappy country was already torn by fresh disturbances. Gandhi must either dissociate himself from a new campaign or lead it and the Viceroy, Lord Willingdon, was not disposed to get him off the hook by giving him the private interview for which he asked. So the resolution for a Congress struggle went through, and Gandhi was arrested. Outside the gates of Yeravada prison, Patrick Quinn, now a senior official, was waiting to receive him once more. Uh, He stopped in his
9: tracks and said that this was becoming monotonous, and uh, laughed heartily there, you see, and then came in, as if he said, well, this is my second home, Mundia." (laughs) <laughs> the eroded temple. And um, he was escorted back to the same prison cells which he'd known years previously. The yard was uh, an open yard with a, wa- a wall all round it and uh, there were trees and there were flowers. It was a garden and a veranda to the cells and he had these two cells, both left open. He used to
1: sit there spinning and uh, so on again he had not been brought before a court but here in jail lying on his cot under the trees gandhi put himself on trial in the great fast for the untouchables of september 1932 and at the same time put his countrymen on trial for the constitutional award that had been made in london seeking to safeguard the untouchables by separating them from the hindu community could only be modified by agreement in india he had terrific strength you know but we only hoped
9: that it would be settled in time because he was getting terribly weak. And the thing about Gandhi was, he was such a determined chap. If he said he was going to do something, uh, not hell or high water would alter that unless it was agreed to his satisfaction that uh, it was fair for him to to give it up.
10: Of course, he bargained and bargained. I said nothing doing.
1: That was Dr. Ambedkar the political leader of the untouchables and a formidable opponent. But a wave of emotion had spread through the country from the bedside of the fasting Mahatma,
10: and accommodation was reached. He was never a Mahatma, and I refused to call him Mahatma. You see, I've never in my life called him Mahatma. He doesn't deserve that title, not even from the point of view of his morality.
1: One didn't have to be an opponent to be wary of the idea of a Mahatma, the socialist leader Acharya Kripalani was sometimes critical, but he had been a colleague of Gandhi since
11: 1917. He repudiated the idea of Superman. He repudiated the idea of his becoming a Mahatma. I believe Gandhiji's message was social, political, economic, and not spiritual in the sense in which spirituality is understood, I would say, that he uh, had enough of, uh, you see, gods and supermen Gandhi was good enough as a man.
2: He was rigid about principles, but uh, he was human enough. If he had been merely rigid in principles, he would not have got on with people. Well, he did get on with people, with every type of person. Whenever there were were conflicts amongst ourselves, we went to him, and he, uh, well, reconciled us all. Made us accept. Ultimately, what his own viewpoint was. Sometimes, I'm afraid, we accepted it rather rebelliously, but we accepted
3: it all the same. I have not known any man of that greatness who could tolerate a position as much as he did and who welcomed discussion as much as he did. But
7: he believed that he is right and that, that those who follow him do right and that those who throw their life with his have done the right choice. There was a good amount of self-assurance which would irritate people who didn't see completely hijacked right? him, So it all depends on one's attitude. Those who loved him, to them he was perfection. Those who didn't, he was a politician or a reformer.
1: One who was captured completely and never looked back was Madeline Slade, daughter of an English admiral. Or Mira Ben, as she was called from the day that she reached his ashram. She was imprisoned more than once. And ultimately, during the Second World War, she shared detention in the Aga Khan's palace near Pune with Gandhi and his secretary Mahadev Desai and his wife Kasturba, uh, both of whom died there, and one or two others.
12: He
5: never kept a looking glass. He hardly ever saw himself, even when he shaved. But I remember a curious incident being, of course, the Aga Khan's palace, there were plenty of looking-glasses. And Bapu, when he used to wash his hands at the bathroom wash basin, saw himself in the looking-glass opposite. And I remember sometimes saying to myself, look at Bapu, looking at himself rather critically, as if he says, what is this person? I wonder what people see in me.
1: What the government, under yet another Viceroy, Lord Linlithgow, had once more felt compelled to see in Gandhi, was a rebel. With the Japanese army pressing on India's frontier, the most controversial of all the movements under his leadership had been proclaimed with the Congress Quit India Resolution of August 1942. Before he could launch it, or, as he intended, confer with the Viceroy, he had been arrested, and so had the other Congress leaders. Protesting to the viceroy that the violent disturbance that followed were not of his making, he precipitated what Sushila Naya, who was with him, saw as a kind of trial by correspondence.
14: In one of his letters uh, that he wrote to Lord Linlithgow, he had said, but I would like to know what are the charges uh, against me, you see, why I'm here. And uh, uh, Lord Linlithgow said, well, you will learn it later. The day will come when you will have to... answer these things and so on so on it was almost you know reminiscent of the uh, of the story in Alice in Wonderland where the Queen says off with their heads and uh, They say but what about the trials? I say, the trials shall follow anyway He was so restless that he felt that he had to go on a fast And he went on a fast
1: He survived, but only just. Lord Elnithgar went home, and Field Marshal Lord Wavell succeeded him, and the war drew near to its end, and Gandhi was released. He was 75 now. What was left for him?
14: Then, while he used to spin, I used to read out Bernard Shaw's plays to him. And I remember reading Joan of Arc to him, and how he enjoyed it, particularly when, at uh, at the end, Joan says, uh, now I am a saint and I can come back to life if you want me to. And first of all, the parson gets up and he says, for heaven's sake, don't. <laughs> and the king also says, no, we don't want you. And one is sometimes remind- reminded whether he may not get the same reply from certain quarters today.
1: <laughs> Long ago, Gandhi had said, If India rejects non-violence, the hour of my trial will come. In October 1946, historic political moves towards independence were proceeding in Delhi. But in Bengal, a thousand miles away, Hindus and Muslims were killing each other. Pyaralal remembers how Gandhi came to a decision.
8: He decided he, he himself would not be at peace unless he went there himself. It was a terrible state of things there. He said, ''Doesn't matter. I shall post one of my companions in each locality, and these people will go and infuse courage among those who have lost hope. All we can promise is that we shall die ourselves before a hair of your head is touched.''
1: He was still there among the blood-stained waterways of eastern Bengal, early next year when Surya Ghosh made the long journey to see him by air, by train, by boat, by jeep and on foot.
10: He seemed to be very far away from everybody and from everywhere. Even physically, he is so, he is so distant. The villagers pointed out to me the house where he was staying. It was a Dobi's house, the house of a village washerman. The villagers gave him shelter. He ate whatever food they gave him. In those three days I was with him, he walked with me, with his hands on my shoulders. And one morning, throughout the entire walk, he talked. Well, it was uh, hardly a voice, but a whisper, because physically he was so weak. In that whispering voice, he surveyed the whole Indian situation, the entire Indian political scene, his struggle for 30 to 40 years for Indian independence, the Congress organization of which he was really the creator, the great uh, Congress political leaders whom he had trained up and the part played by them. At the end of it, he heaved a deep sigh and he said, Don't you see the loneliness of it all?
1: By the beginning of March 1947, the old man had walked barefoot for about 116 miles of the stricken area and visited 47 villages. He felt that he could leave for Bihar, where the terrible chain reaction had produced another wave of killing and burning and loot and rape. And then Lord Mountbatten arrived in Delhi as Viceroy, with power to settle the issue in any way that would secure the Indian leader's agreement. From Bihar in the rising heat of summer, Gandhi answered his call, winning his friendship at the first interview. But at length the time came for the Viceroy to tell Gandhi that Nehru and the other Congress leaders, faced with the drift into violence and chaos, had accepted the inevitability of a divided independence. It was June the 2nd and a Monday which was Gandhi's weekly day of silence.
15: It seemed quite natural to be discussing these grave affairs of state in such an irregular manner and I felt no embarrassment at keeping up a monologue while Gandhi wrote his comments with a stub of a pencil on the backs of used envelopes. All the Mahatma's little scribbled messages were extremely friendly. At the same time, it was clear to me that he was in a state of considerable distress under the first impact of the plan, and I was a little afraid that he might make critical comments on the plan at his next prayer meeting.
1: But he didn't. This is our own doing,
15: was all he would say
1: and he went on fighting the fears and hatreds which he did not believe partition could extinguish. He travelled right up to the northwest frontier and to Kashmir, and then in the other direction, back to Calcutta, where the great killings of almost a year ago seemed only too likely to be repeated as the day of a divided freedom approached. And there he persuaded H.S. Surawadi, the Muslim minister whom the Hindus chiefly blamed, to stay with him in one of the worst affected areas, in an inspired but dangerous bid for peace. And it worked. On August the 14th, the day before independence and division, Suleen Dutta went out into the streets.
15: I saw soldiers. There were still soldiers uh, with uh, bayonets. But on those bayonets were little flags, which people had fixed. And uh, Hindus and Muslims were absolutely dancing dancing and lorries would come full of muslims would stop pull up a hindu and say come here come here we are going to celebrate or things like that and when we saw this i certainly could not uh, restrain my eyes streaming over because for a year it had seemed as if it was not worthwhile living in Calcutta. And then Gandhi had come. The first day, I think, they threw brickbats at him and sticks at him. And then, of course, he talked to them, stood there, and slowly, in two, three days' time, the atmosphere changed. And on the 14th, What we saw is perhaps the only miracle I have in my life seen.
1: Next day, the new dominion of Pakistan was inaugurated in Karachi. And at midnight, in Delhi, the new dominion of India, with Nehru as Prime Minister.
2: At the stroke of the midnight hour, when the world sleeps, India will awake to life and freedom.
1: But in Calcutta, Gandhi spent the day in prayer and fasting and silent spinning. In the divided Punjab, the worst violence of all was just beginning. In Calcutta itself, his peace mission was again threatened, and at length he resolved upon the ultimate sanction, a fast which would be ended, he said, only when the conflagration ends. Within four days, he got the necessary assurances, and this time they held. Lord Mountbatten, invited by Free India to remain as its Governor General, called Gandhi his one man boundary force.
15: When the trouble started, the 55,000 man boundary force in the Punjab was swamped by riots. But my one man boundary force brought peace to Bengal.
1: And now the appeals were coming from the Northwest. Rajkumari Amrit Kaur was one of those who sent him distress signals. I said, you know,
14: we are living in the most terrible times and the most awful happenings. I just don't understand how people can sink so low. And please come. He wrote, he sent a special messenger and he said, never lose faith in humanity. A few dirty drops can't soil the ocean which humanity is.
1: And so, for its last phase, the trial of Gandhi moved to Delhi ringed by violence, infected by fears and rumours, and murderous vengeance and reckless plunder, and crowded with refugees.
2: He came here when uh, these disturbances were at full flood. His coming was a tremendous help to us, of course, and uh, no doubt he sued people and and brought about, um, well, many changes here in the whole atmosphere. But not
1: all at once. The wave of killing and looting was gradually reduced. But after five months, Gandhi was not yet satisfied that the spirit in which minorities could feel safe had been established. I feel helpless, he said. And then he added, I have never put up with helplessness in all my life. Suddenly there came once more the decision to go on a fast, his last. If Delhi were not to be at peace in his own real sense, he said, he would be better dead.
8: That fast simply ended when the people gave the guarantee which he had asked for.
1: But still, there had to be a sacrifice. If I have to die, Gandhi told his friends, it should be at the prayer meeting. Against his protest, there were police guarding Birla House where he was staying. But all who came to the evening prayer were unmolested. He would not allow them to be searched. And the last of his days was as methodical as any other. Bridge Krishna Chandiwala had slept as
16: usual at his left side. Well, that day, it was 30th of January and Friday, and he began usually, as he used to get up at 3 o'clock, he began his day, had his prayers. Then the whole day he was very busy. 5 o'clock was the time for prayers, but the talks did not finish. So we were all very anxious, as he was very particular about having his prayers at the exact time.
1: On a raised lawn in the Bella House garden, where there was a small pavilion, the crowd had gathered waiting for him. Among them was BBC correspondent Robert Stimson, who broadcast the same evening.
0: As he got to the top of the steps and approached the crowd, he took his arms from the shoulders of his friends, and raised his hand in salutation. he was still smiling a thick-set man in his 30s i should say and dressed in khaki was in the forefront of the crowd he moved a step towards mr gandhi took out a revolver and fired several shots
16: i couldn't understand what had happened because i had not uh, thought that somebody would fire at him so i moved and came in front of him, and I saw that blood was oozing out. Then I understood what had happened. For a few seconds, he was standing, and at once he fell down, and he was dead.